This episode is brought to you by Focusrite. Focusrite is an English company that designs and markets audio interfaces, microphone preamps, consoles, analog EQs, channel strips. Uh, in this episode, we are going to be giving some info on how you can enter to win a Scarlett 18i20 interface, which is an 8-channel interface, as well as a Scarlett Octo Pre Dynamic, which is an additional 8 channels of inputs with compression built in. So listen to the show. You'll get details about that. Also, check out the show notes for more info. Focusrite. Check them out. What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 101 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we will talk about our biggest regrets, the gear that we sold that we wish we hadn't. Our featured drummer this time is Mr. Tony Escapa. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Peisty PSTX DJ's 45 series. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Not even gonna mention it. <laughs> We're not even gonna talk about it. This is the podcast. How do we begin now? Podcast. Episode one hundred and one. We need some new like. I know, man. New juice for this sucker, dude. I, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I, I feel, I feel like it's episode one every time. Yeah, no. I mean, last week was a little, little nostalgic, but it's like, all right, yeah. now back to business. Let's dig back in. Back to business. Let's get yeah, into I, some stuff. I, I'm very scared of the day that I'm like, ugh. Got to do the podcast today <laughs> because still, it, it, you know, uh, I, I hope our listeners understand that you and I probably learn as much from this podcast as anybody else because you and I just have such different worlds uh, when it comes to drumming. Totally. So every time you have an opinion on something, I'm like, oh wow, I never thought of it that way. You know? Yeah, um, I mean, it's like a free hour lesson a week, I think, for me. So it's yeah, for me too. So all right, it's enough. It's enough compliments. I have a pretty funny story. Um, one of our, our listeners who I've been working with on, on Skype as well, his name's Jason. He's over in the UK. He's actually getting a tooth pulled next week. <laughs> I think it's next week. And okay. he said he's 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 hoping that the podcast will be what gets him through the, the procedure. Man, I'm I'm with him. Jason, <laughs> I feel you, bro. I stare so hard at that ceiling. It's weird. I I, I bring my hands together like fingers <laughs> intertwined and I just press. And I press for like an hour straight. And I just, because I don't want to show weakness. I don't want to show pain. I don't know what it is, but it's like the most awkward thing for me. Um, and this is weird. And I, I have, not to be a, a ego jerk, uh, but I have straight white teeth. The first time I saw a dentist, I was 24 years old. No way. Yeah. I, I don't know how it happened. Mom, if you're listening, I don't know what happened. I, I had braces, so I saw an orthodontist. Oh, okay. I had my wisdom teeth pulled, so I saw an oral surgeon, but I never went to a dentist. I never had a cleaning. I never had a checkup. And I think it was, I just never had any pain. Like I, I, uh, huh. what, what my parents did well was give me good oral hygiene habits. <laughs> so like, but anyway, so now when I go to the dentist, I still don't know how to handle the situation. Like I start sweating really bad oh, really? and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to get up and they're going to see how sweaty my back is. And yeah, it's <laughs> not fun, man. Well. I, but anyways, uh, uh, Jason, my, my wife and I just got a new dentist and they have, uh, massaging back a massaging chair so when you're in the dentist chair it's giving you a back massage and they have they fancy. say yeah what kind of massage do you want and then on the ceiling where i would normally stare they have tv play and they just say do you have any favorite channels and so you just stare straight up at the tv and just don't focus on the smoke that's coming out of your mouth 
um, out of your tooth. And yeah, it's it's great. Uh, Hopefully, so. he listens to this episode as they're pulling the tooth, and he can think nothing about other than the fact that totally. they're getting the tooth. <laughs> totally. I, and I'm always studying like their teeth. The people that are working on me, I'm like, man, you don't even have good teeth. Are you sure you know what you're doing? Because if I was you, I would come in at midnight and do some work on myself. <laughs> if I had access to all this stuff. All right. We, uh, we might have touched on a new topic to never return to. Dentists. All right. The dentist. There you go. There you go. Anyways, you know what? I'm going to break protocol here. How's your dog doing? My dog, they're doing all right. You know, they don't like the summer. Or dogs. Dogs. Me. Yeah, they're not. They're not too happy with the humidity here. So they, mm-hmm. they kind of protest when we when you know we take them for a walk after a while. Especially the the older guy, he just starts lagging behind. He gets like twenty yeah. yards behind. He's like, dude, are we still moving? Take me home. <laughs> but they're good. They're doing. They're that's they're healthy. Good, the, the the little guy keeps the big guy in shape. So that's that's good. It's nice to have that influence. So I have my. Uh, first official drum clinic announcement to make what yeah the philadelphia drum and percussion is the name of the shop and they invited me down so i'm going to be down there at the end of august um i'll be sharing the facebook event and all that so yeah i'm just man going down and congratulations just do my thing and hopefully not embarrass myself <laughs> so let me ask you this since this is your first legit like drum clinic out of shop is that right um, well, I've done clinics at like music schools and things like right. that before, but this but that's is a, that's different. different. This yeah. is a shop. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so do you know what your thing is? And I mean that I'm not making I'm, I'm being honest. Like, do you know what you're going to do? Uh, well, yeah. I mean the the idea he wants me to kind of talk about playing for the song and you know feel and time and all like the stuff that I've been obsessing over. I'm going to take my electronics down my pad, yeah. probably play over some loops and stuff, but how you know, cool is that? There won't be a drum solo that he kind of he kind of explicitly sure. requested not that type of clinic. Right. Which, which is, is cool. Fine because I cannot play a drum solo and I don't want to have but to how, practice it. How cool is it that he's not asking you to come in and talk about being the editor of Modern Drummer and what's it like to work in the industry? The fact that he's recognizing you as a player Right. Rather than the job title you have, and yeah, that's just an that's extra bonus. Yeah, pretty cool, man. Congratulations! I'm really excited for you. I think it's um, the end of August, the last Friday in August. So yeah, well, we'll. I'm sure I'll be sweating it out here in the next few weeks. <laughs> nice, man. Well, I had planned. Uh, I planned to announce the uh, Carter McLean camp on this podcast. But we put it up on Instagram and it sold out within an hour. So sweet. Um, so let's so not even no. talk about it. Good luck. So See you at the next I've, one. Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason I brought it up was somebody on Facebook mentioned like if you added Mike Dawson, that would be a dream camp. And I thought, well, since you and Carter are both on the East Coast, that really would be a cool camp for us to do maybe next year. Yeah, have that'd the be three great. of us host it. And I yeah. think also, you know, when we had talked about bringing you into the Common Thread camp, really at that time in your career, you were the editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Yeah, and it would have been totally. like, yeah, come on in and, and, oh, wow, you can play too. But it, but now <laughs> I think you've kind of made a name for yourself as a player. And I, when, when he said, yeah, if, it, if you could bring in Mike Dawson, that'd be a dream camp, I thought, yeah, those are three really different opinions on the instrument. And I wouldn't be bringing Mike in as the editor of Modern Drummer. I'd be bringing him in as a player. And I think it could be a really cool camp that we should talk about for sure. All right. Well, let's do that. When is the Carter camp? It is the. It starts on the Sunday of Nam, so I believe that's like uh, okay. the 28th of January. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so Carter will already be out here for Nam, and uh, and this is something that our listeners have 
definitely had to suffer through and you and I have talked about, but I had a long talk with Ron Danette last night. Oh yeah. Uh, about? about snare drums. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, uh, I'll just leave it at that and we'll see, see where it goes. Um, but I've always been a fan of his stuff and, and our listeners that listen carefully always call me out in every video and they're like, when are you going to get a Danette? Oh yeah. Just seriously. get, just pull the, you know, pull the ripcord and get one. So I'm actually going to be um, doing because uh, I've been doing some like snare drum uh, shootout videos for my YouTube channel, just mainly for my own reference to remind myself what all these drums can do. So uh-huh. the next one I'm going to do are the two Danette drums I have. I have the Ooh. five and a half by fourteen aluminum and the six and a half by fourteen bronze. <clears throat> so I'm okay. Post and those. now, can I ask you this? Have you ever reviewed one of their titanium drums? Yes, uh, okay. it would have been years ago, and I I don't remember. I think it was actually the Stanton Moore. Uh, okay. Like well, without giving too much away, I might just review a titanium five and a half by fourteen <laughs> coming up. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that, and it might be engraved with my favorite astronomer's name. I don't know. I don't know why you're bringing this up. Okay, so quick announcement: next week, guys and gals, I will be in the middle of ladies' camp. So I do one female-only drum camp per year. All of my camps are co-ed, but one camp per year is for ladies only and the reason we do that is so that the female drummers that maybe in their hometown feel a little bit alone i want them to have one week to look around and see nothing but female drummers and my stinky butt so the reason i'm bringing this up is ladies camp is different for me and it changes me so next week's podcast might be a little bit weird uh i i I woo a lot i go like woo on everything they turn me into a woo girl uh I get emotional quicker because they're just in t- in touch with their emotions. So I'm just saying, <laughs> Mike, if you bring up like my practice habits and I start to tear up a little bit, just know that I'm going through some stuff, okay? Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that aside, good news. I am going into a recording studio for my first time uh, in damn near a decade on the 24th yeah you found the spot you know where you're going found the spot man on the moon is going to go record we're going to record on the 24th and then we'll sit with it for about a week and then we go back to mix and do overdubs now i have to ask you this Mm -hmm. because you're now like probably up to your ankle not quite up to your neck but you're up to your ankle in your time practice Mm -hmm. is going to the studio going to screw you up are you going to be freaking out okay it's it's a weird thing Here's my thought. Now I do know how imperfect it is, but I also know how much better it is than it would have been if I went last month or two months okay. ago. Okay. So I'm I'm honestly really excited with the progress that I've seen and that other followers have seen in my playing where it's like, yes, I know how far away this is from flawless, but man, it's so much better than it was and just the fact that I'm aware of it. And I I'm aware of the things I would have let slide. And here is one thing that maybe you went through too, but just knowing about it i can actually i i'm i've played drums long enough i can actually fix some of it you mm-hmm. know what i mean in the right. moment so right, at right. least i'm a good enough drummer that i can fix this stuff i just didn't even know it was happening before mm. um so it hasn't quite driven me nuts yet i think i'd probably have to get about another six months deep before i start to freak out right now i'm just enjoying the benefits every time i practice yeah. i get better at, at time Pretty soon, those those increments are going to get smaller and smaller, and I'm going to get yeah. more microscopic with it, and I'm going to drive myself nuts. So no, I, I <laughs> I'm hoping that I'm excited. I am, and maybe this is something you and I could talk about uh, in a different episode. But I have a song that's going from seven eight into five eight, 
And then I eventually am soloing in 5-4. So the band kind of stays in this 5-8 feel, mm. but I solo in a halftime of it. The tempo is all there, but I don't know how to record it. Like I At the moment, because I can't get a... I mean, because our music's improvised, I can't have a click track pre-programmed. Yeah. Um, so I kind of feel like I'm going to have to record the 7 part all the way up to the 5. We'll stop. I'll record the 5 and the solo and everything, and then we'll continue on in seven. I mean, so you're planning to use a click track for the? For I'd everything? like to, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. We we could just try once without the click and just see. Okay, I'm okay with it breathing, but is it just all over the map? You yeah, know? yeah. Because um, we're not doing a lot of. We won't be doing really hardly any overdubs other than sound. So being on a grid isn't that important for that aspect of it well i mean it's probably too late in the game but you could set up an ableton live session and trigger it live like oh, have a click going in because that's what's great about ableton is you can you can have it just be a click track and then with one hit of a pad it'll change the tempo to whatever you tell it to or the time signature or whatever. yeah time signature whatever so you could have wow. it it could go for as long as you want in one time signature one field and the moment you trigger it it just jumps immediately to the next one or you can have it jump like anytime if you hit the pad sometime in that measure the next measure it'll flip to the next tempo oh, okay. That, okay that would be one solution the way that yeah, way you don't have actually, to use a computer click you'll have your own click that you run in yeah i mean even the fact that you're saying that makes me think i could probably even put since the tempo is the same it's just a different time signature i could put the click into my DTX Multi 12 too. And oh just yeah, there you go. Have it loop in seven, and then trigger it in five when I'm ready. Yeah, um, that's what I so would do. That way, you're, you're you're controlling the click. You can just run the audio out from that as if it was a you know a nice. synthesizer or something. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad I brought it up. So yeah. So I've got that, <laughs> and then we launched our new site, and uh, we'll talk about that in next week's episode. But all right, buddy. Well, let's talk about regrets. This is something that I think. All of our listeners that have played for more than five years can definitely uh, understand. And I'm talking about our biggest regrets, and that is the gear that you sold that you wish you hadn't sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we we probably have way too many of those. But let's start off with something simple. Do you have, like, instead of a kit, like a single piece of gear, maybe a cymbal or a snare drum? I did sell. I mean, I, I do a lot of buying and selling, and each time I feel like I'm, I'm losing a finger when I do it. But, okay. Uh, there was a slingling chrome over brass snare that I sold that I was like, man, because I have I have another one that's different, and I was like, ah, but this one was really cherry, and I got a good amount of money for it that I that I wanted, so I had I couldn't turn it up, but I was as soon as I got rid of it, I was like, oh man, I know I'm going to need that drum one day. Really, <laughs> I know it. But you know, tr- I really haven't since then been like, man, this track really needs that sling one. So, so it wasn't a huge regret. Probably the biggest regret would be throwing away my Acrolyte when I went away to college. Like, Ooh, threw, wait, it, you threw away. it away because one of the lugs was busted. No way. So rather than replace it, my dad was like, "What do you want to do with this drum?" I was like, "Ah, I want the lugs is busted. Just throw it away." So I just chucked it. Wow. <laughs> wow. I. You know what? I can kind of relate to that. I'm. I, I I'm not a clutter guy, so if something isn't flawless, it's gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll put out a little thing on Facebook. I'm like, hey, 200 pairs of slightly chipped sticks going in the trash, <laughs> or come by Folsom today, <laughs> get them. Like, I can't I can't stand clutter. Okay, yeah, I, I, I need my small item. I'm gonna have a couple other we can probably get to. What's your small item? Regret? My small item would be I think. Do you know? Do you remember the brand Ascend? I think LP maybe owned them or distributed uh, them. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. I think okay. so. Yep. So I had a twelve by five and a half 
uh, brass LP Ascend snare drum. That my regret is not that it was an expensive drum. I mean, I think it was it was under three hundred, maybe two fifty. My regret is it was like so instrumental in my drumming, and it represented this switch to like the first time I had a snare drum that wasn't part of my drum set. It was the first time I went outside of my drum set to go, okay, I want that snare because I want that sound. So it was like mid nineties for me. I had a, you know, all of a sudden there was the, uh, the higher pitch snare drums of Tim Alexander. And, and I was also getting into the police and then there was a band in Sacramento called far and their drummer used that snare drum. And I was like, I I want that sound. So yeah, it was a 12 by five and a half brass LP ascend. Uh, pretty much I tuned it like a marching drum. Just yeah. cranked, and, and I, I just, I just miss that drum, you know. Um, I really miss that drum a lot, and and I also, I think I can't find it anywhere, but I used to have a ten inch, uh, wasn't expensive either, a ten inch uh, Yamaha snare that you would that I mounted off the side of my hi hat. Yeah, okay. And the reason I miss, it, I don't want the drum, I want the head because I wrote. Amber's phone number in pen on that head the day that I met her because oh, I didn't wow. I, I didn't have a way to remember her phone number and I <laughs> I remember driving home and just literally shouting her number to myself like nine one six five 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 and like and then the first thing I saw was my drum and it had a, a notepad and a pen on it and I just wrote her name or her name and her number down on that head and I kept that drum forever and I, I we've moved so many times I just can't find it but uh, wow. so yeah I wish I had that drum head so. All right, wow. let's go bigger. What else you got? Bigger, probably the most recent and biggest regret was selling my Fender bass. That was I was not expecting that. Yeah, okay. that was. What? I needed the cash. I at the time I was not using it very much, so I just sold it, and then immediately I was like, "Why did you do that?" Because I was just starting to get comfortable playing it, and I I. And now I've since replaced it with a cheaper one. That it's fine, but it's it's not that Fender bass. And now that I'm practicing it more, it's it's affected my drumming in, in so many ways. And I'm like, man, if I just would have kept practicing for those two years, where would I be? Because it's been about two years since I sold it to when I bought I gotcha. a new one. It's like, where would okay. things be? Like, where would my concept of music and groove and all that be if I would just be had spent ten minutes a day playing bass lines on my bass every day? Wow. So that's wow. a that's a huge one. I'd. And what was why. was it a Fender P bass, Fender Jazz bass? It was a it was one of those like hybrid P uh, precision jazz. It had the had both pickups okay. in it. I think I had the jazz okay. bass neck. It wasn't like a super expensive bass, but it was it was re- it was a really good version of that version. Bass. Of it. Isn't that weird with Fender basses? Yeah, yeah. Because everyone's like, oh, you got to get a P bass. It's like, oh no, you need to get you need to find a hundred used P basses and yeah. find the one, the right one. That's what it was. Yep. Everyone that played it was like, dang, this thing sounds good. I'm like, I don't oh, know. Man. I didn't know. I didn't know any right, better. But then since I've replaced it with, I think I got a, a Jaguar. Since I replaced it, I'm like, oh, this is not even close <laughs> to wow. what my old bass felt like. But the the regret is not having the instrument, so I can just keep learning bass lines and stuff. Yeah, man. I mean, it's changed yeah. everything about my drumming and my my hearing and my my compassion for other players. And like when I'm playing gigs now and I play fills, I hear the bass line, and I'm like, oh, where did I what did I clash with his pattern? Like I I hear wow. that now because I'm practicing wow. so much bass. That's really cool. So that's by my really biggest, cool. most recent regret. It wasn't like big, expensive. It was just big for me musically. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, that's cool. It doesn't always have to be drums. I would say 
if we're going up, because I'm assuming we're making our way up to the drum set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, my, I'd say my ne- next biggest regret that actually was valuable and meant something to me was just a pristine, pristine Slingerland uh, snare drum with that blue Duco finish. Oh, yeah. It's like the classic Slingerland Duco finish. You I know? probably bought it because I have it. <laughs> you, <laughs> was it a five? Yes, yeah. 14 by five. I probably oh, have it. Great. Did it have single flange hoops by chance? Yes, it did. Oh, my gosh. I think I have your drum. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know what you paid for it, but I'll give you $11 more because <laughs> I want it back. I, I've actually been thinking about reaching out to Nelson at Nelson Drumco or Bryson and just asking him, hey, keep your eye out because I miss this drum. It wasn't my best sounding drum, but I just loved it a lot. It was my first vintage drum. Mm. And I did save up to not just get one, but to get a pristine one and to get a really good one. Um, and And it was also, I got it, God, this is probably... 10 years ago so maybe a little less than that 10 or uh, 9 or 10 years ago but I got it at a time where eBay was was a really cool place mm-hmm. you never were I mean eBay really was only people there were no companies trying to offload stuff so you just you were dealing with a human and it was and they would tell you the whole history of the drum and I was like yep. okay I'm looking at 15 of these and and it was back when you actually bid on things like you stayed up till midnight to get your bid yeah, in type thing right. And uh, yeah, it just that drum meant a lot to me, and I just didn't know that you stole it or well, bought it. I, you know what? I might send it out to you. And I even had it touched up by uh, Bruce at RBH. He recut the edges and cleaned it up for me. So what? And he, and he fixed. There was like a the throw off had kind of like chewed a bit of the the shell out, so he fixed that up for me. Man, honestly, I if you ever, I mean, just friend to friend, if you ever want to sell it, I really would buy it from you because I do miss that drum. I'll send it out to you. You can check it out. Oh man! There we go. That, Making deals. That, that would be awesome, man. I'll review it for the podcast. <laughs> be like, okay. Any of you guys? Do you, do you know what years year yours is or what era? I don't remember. I think it's I think it's one of the older ones, early sixties, maybe or maybe 60s. I can't remember if it, if it has a serial number or not. I'll take a look at it. I'll send you a picture of it. Oh man, I, uh, <laughs> you're, you're almost as good of a friend as you are an ass. I appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> All right. Moving our way up the category, what, what is your big regret? I mean, it has to be my first real drum set selling it. it again, it was when I moved away to college, and I was just like, ah, I got this stuff. I don't want to take it to my dorm. It was my Pro Export kit. Yep. My red yeah, Pro right. Export kit. And really, the biggest regret is not that I, I sold it, although I do think that those drums sound amazing, and I wish I still had it. Uh, it was that the guy that I sold it to was such a jerky, then offloaded it for more money than I sold it to him. Oh, because I, I have a thing about when I sell people gear, like keep it, use it, yeah, keep it, and just enjoy it. He just made a hundred bucks off of it. It's like, oh man, yeah, really, man, dude, not, really. <laughs> I want to know. Even I, I think that Bryson and probably the guys at a what's the one in Oregon Revival. Yeah, I have a feeling that they actually have a hard time selling anything because probably everything that comes in, they're like. I just want this. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. And then they're the ones that clean it up. They make it all special. I, I think that they're so emotionally attached. Because I just saw a picture. I don't know if I was on Bryson's Facebook page or what, but I saw a picture of like a storage unit filled with drums. And I'm like, none of those are on your website for sale. <laughs> what is going on? I'm like, are you just are you just screwing up your business and not selling these things? But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I did... Uh, when I sold some of my DWs when I moved to Gretsch, 
and I, I made sure I let DW know that I would sell them for no more than what I paid for them. It, it went actually to the the people that I sold my kits to. Both uh, they both still have them, and I yeah. told them that same thing. Like, That's hey, man. You, unless you've taken a tour of DW's factory, you have no idea what went into this instrument. Please, man, this is a huge part of my career. This was made by people that really care about drums. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know what I would love to see if you had that export kit? It'd just be so cool for all your reviews to be like, is there really a big difference between uh-huh. a Craviato and an export? <laughs> like, put them side by side, man. Let's find out. Because we have so much nostalgia. I mean, I had the export too, and I had the add-on ten. And yeah, me too. Yeah, you know. And Carter McLean and I were just talking about that same thing. And I was like, remember when you hit the ten and you tune it? And it was perfect. And then you put it on that giant pole, and then it went, <laughs> and it was gone. <laughs> like, I, I bought the upgraded ISS mounts or whatever they were called. They didn't do when I had the export. They didn't even have ISS mounts yeah. yet; hadn't started yet. And so I had to take a pipe cutter and I cut the pole so that it never made its way into the drum. It was ah. the exact depth as the mount. Um, no adjustments after that moment. Like, <laughs> Want to get it closer to you? Sorry. Um, I have well, a thing with cutting yeah. hardware. I've never been able to do it. I can't bring myself really? to cut pool rods on hi hat stands. I just I was I was just going to ask about that one. So I can't you do you're. It. A, Never. Really? I've never once modified a piece of hardware because it just I just don't want to do it. I don't know why. Well, I, I, I would never say that this is the reason I'm a DW hardware artist, but the fact that their hi-hat stands comes with that short one, mm-hmm. that, like, that's enough yeah, to be like, right. sorry, I can't move anywhere. I can't go to any other company because I need that short one. That is a great feature. Really smart. I used to, I used to cut them off, and, and you cut off a piece of metal, and you're going to cut your hand on it like, <laughs> yeah. when you... Yeah, it was never a, not a good thing. So, well, my big biggest regret—I think we've talked about it on here before—but it is the last drum set that I purchased. No endorsements, just a fan of drumming, and that is my Gunmetal Gray Sparkle Premier Janista. Yes, that's right. Uh, and uh, the guy that I uh, sold it to still has it, and he's moving to Colorado. And he asked me recently if I had any cases that he could borrow, and I was like, "No, but you could just since you since I don't have any cases that you can borrow, you can just give me my drum set back." <laughs> Although he paid for it, so. <laughs> but uh, man, I, I miss that kit. I don't know. It's weird though. I don't know what I would do with it if I had it. So it's not like I. It's not like I want to play it. Like the Slingerland snare, I actually want to play that. Yeah. yeah. The, if I had the Janista, I would just look at it. But that kit, man, I I don't really get emotionally attached to things very often um like if somebody came in this is not recommended but if somebody came in and stole all of my gear today i'd be stoked because i'd be like insurance (laughs) means i get to get all new ones in different colors (laughs) so i'm not that emotionally attached. i'd be bummed about my ride symbol because that's like mine it's got a lot of signatures of of students on it but yeah i mean but man that janista i was attached to that thing you know? Yeah, you know, and funny, I was again, I was talking to, to my student Jason, who's in the UK. He says, he was talking about how expensive uh, American vintage drums are over there. Like oh, really? Ludwig's are just, they're, they're probably twice as much over there than they are here. Wow. But Premier is like, they can't give them away. It's like, man, I would love to have an old 60s Premier kit. Yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like those, just, uh, one, I mean, because remember the old Premiers had like flat, like fast toms? Yeah, right. And Lots like the cool chrome. <laughs> <laughs> or, or no, it's like stainless steel, I think. But it was like yeah. a stainless steel kit with like fast toms. I, yeah. Dude, I love those kits, man. And just something about that bass drum logo. I don't know. I, yeah, you like it? I was in, man. Since, I mean, I, the first time I saw Premier, even though this is kind of late in the game, was... Um, 
whatever your uh, festival with Virgil was, was that 93, I think? With yeah, Tony. that was a while ago. Yeah. Now, was that the, the Block Chunky logo or was that the old script style logo? Block Chunky. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I just I and he had the uh he had a Janista in their emerald green. Right. Like, yeah, oh sounded my great. God. Yeah, <laughs> and he sounded fantastic and and then instantly I was sold. Oh, six millimeters smaller per tom? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes the difference. <laughs> Give me one of those. <laughs> and I guess I can only play clear heads now because I need to show my friends that my drums are six millimeters smaller than theirs. <laughs> all the gap in between the hoop. So and I don't know why having six millimeters less of of a shell makes me talk like a moron. Six millimeters smaller. <laughs> but it, I, I, I love that thing, man. All right. Well, I think we all have drum regrets and guys and gals. Keep your gear until you're really, really sure you don't want it anymore. And then, like Mike said, make sure that it goes to a good home. Um, yeah. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you got to make money, but, you know. Totally. And, and again, again, I don't feel like I made a huge mistake with any of that stuff, but you know, at the same time, like I should have kept my first drum kit. Like that was just kind of silly. <laughs> you know? I yeah, could have given I, it to my niece. You know, it's like any any number of things I could have done with it. I didn't. I mean, I got like two hundred and fifty bucks for it. It's it never like I, feels like that in the moment, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the moment, you you just I'm going to have all the drum sets in the world, and it won't matter. And yeah, you know, you never think of it like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably have four cars in my past that. If I just keep them for another 60 years, they'd be worth a ton of money, but I I won't. So, Uh, All right. Well, let's talk about our featured drummer. This is Tony Escapa, and Tony is the drummer for Ricky Martin's band. He's the touring drummer for Ricky Martin. But until I did my research on him, I really didn't know how insanely accomplished his whole career has been from really kind of the beginning. I mean, full ride to Berkeley. Yep. What? Uh and then ambassador touring around the world. Uh, it's it's a pretty amazing career, and and his playing is fantastic. It's funny, I didn't know. I think you and I had talked about him in the past, just uh, outside of the podcast. But when you sent me his name, I didn't know that he was Ricky Martin's drummer. Mm-hmm. And when I heard him first play in some of those clips you sent me, I thought, man, this cat and uh, Brendan Buckley would get along really oh, well. Oh, yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, it's Shakira's drummer and Ricky Martin's drummer. Okay, <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. But <laughs> exactly. it, it, it wasn't like he was trying to throw down and swing for the fences. It was really tasteful with just this hint of Latin rhythms and, and yeah. Cuban stuff. It was really cool. So Yeah, it's a cool gig. I mean, it covers such a wide range of styles. I interviewed him for Gearing Up in the current issue, the one with Todd Zuckerman on the on the cover. So we were just kind of talking about how he created his kit to kind of cover all the bases because some of Ricky's music is is very dance pop, some of it is is very Latin, some of it is rock, and right. some of it's very electronic. So he's got a he's got to cover all those styles. He's got like I think he has now he might have four hi hats. I think there's three on in the kit, like a little set of tens. He's got you know a, a normal set of hi hats. He's got a big set of. Uh, 17-inch uh, K-Custom Special dry trash crashes that he uses highest. So they kind of give him his electronic sounds. And it's a cool gig. I mean, for anyone who like likes a lot of different styles of music and you want to see a great show, I think Ricky Martin's probably at the top of the game. I believe they are still a residency in Las Vegas. They kind of do like two weeks at a time and then go on tour and then come back to Vegas. Oh, wow. Uh, so when I interviewed him, he was, you know, they were just about to start the first leg of that in Vegas. Uh, but I've known Tony. He actually, I met him the first year I started in Modern Drummer. We're, we're probably about the same age, and his okay. he was he was in New York City like 
doing the jazz thing, playing with Miguel Zenon, and, and everyone around town was talking about like this is the guy to check out. Like he's really he's the cat. Um, and then like a year later, he got the gig with Ricky and just touring around the world. So it's been super cool to kind of watch his career just go to the stratosphere almost instantly. Um, Dude, jazz ambassador for the Kennedy Arts Center. I mean, yeah, he toured around the world straight out of basically straight out of college. He was touring around the world playing jazz. Well, really let's geek neat. out on this kit because Gadang, uh, yeah, this thing's no joke. So uh, he's a Yamaha artist, I'm assuming. Yep, he is. So he's got. I, I'm assuming that's a floor tom on his left. Yep. I could just read what you guys wrote, but I'm <laughs> look at the picture instead. Um, but uh, so he's got a monster kit, double bass pedal, DW nine thousands, tons of Zildjian cymbals. Like you said, hi hats everywhere. Yeah. Um, Yamaha DTX triggering everything. One, two, three cowbells. Yeah, exactly. There, it looks it's, like there's one hidden on the right over there. Yeah, man. And then he's got a Pro Logics pad and his Vader pad. So he's like, <laughs> let me work it out. Let me bounce it out. Let me work it out. Let me bounce it out. Um, yeah, this is. Guys, if you haven't seen the current issue of Modern Drummer, this kit, kind of like Todd Zuckerman's kit, it's like just that dream candy kit. It's I like, know, dude, can right? I just sit down? Like, okay, I don't need to own it, but can I just rip on that for like five seconds? Yeah, find it looks out like what everything would, would like be kit? so easy to hit. And yeah. we talked a little bit about because I had asked him about how he has the toms set up offset. And he's like, yeah, I just always played them that way. And, and I referenced the fact that Josh Freese has done that forever. He's like, oh, yeah, well, Josh is one of my biggest influences. So it makes sense. Really? Yeah. Wow. It looks so comfortable. I I I would never. I mean, it seems like it would take forever for me to figure out how to set up a kit like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be like, ah, eh, screw it. Snare drum, ride you know, cymbal, crash. I gotta be honest. <laughs> most of the people that set up their kit like that have a tech. Yeah, yeah, it, probably. It's like, uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think he gets to the Ricky Martin arena and he's like, damn, two staircases. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But uh, but that is a cool gig, and it's funny when you're describing his kit, or, or I'm sorry, what he has to cover in Ricky Martin's band. It made me think of like, yeah, that's the exact same thing you said when we covered Brendan Buckley. Exactly. Like it's going to go from pop into like some traditional world music, and then into a little mixture of both, and um, and even rock a little bit, you know. And yeah, it, it's cool. But um, I. You know what's what I really enjoyed on the research end of this is when you type in Tony Escapa to Google or whatever, it, you're not going to get just a ton of Ricky Martin stuff. He's a legit player, obviously. I mean, we already stated that, but he's yeah. a legit player on his own. So his name isn't really. You have to dig pretty deep to find out. Oh, he's Ricky Martin's touring drummer. Yeah, yeah. I think it might be his MD as well. I, I didn't get. I didn't ask him that, but as I was, you know, interview him, he's like, "Yeah, I just spent the morning." wrestling with lawyers about uh licensing for some of the fo- some of the tracks that we fly in during the show like some of the the background music or whatever oh, so wow. i think he's dealing with a you know more musical direction as well it's kind of it's pretty cool uh yeah he's a beast so i think everyone should go check him out i need to go check him out uh i haven't seen him with ricky martin but i can only imagine that it's a sweaty ex- ex- exhausting Dude. show <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's that different or that next level of entertainment where it is music, it's great music, but it's also a show. Um, exactly, and so that, that's why they're that's why they're in Vegas. It's perfect for them. So yeah. awesome! Everybody, check out Tony Escapa, and uh, you can find him all over the web, and you can find a really cool bio about him on Yamaha's website as well. So, Dig all it. right, now to the candy. I man, 
Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, we've we got will a wait brand, a minute. We'll talk about our brand new sponsor. We've got a brand new sponsor, so we want to thank Focusrite for, for jumping on board to sponsor this week's episode. And they've got a whole slew of things that we need to talk about. Uh, first of all, I'm going to be reviewing their Scarlet uh, 8-channel interface as well as their 8-channel OctoPre, uh, which so you can connect those two together, you get 16 channels. Um, I'm going to be reviewing those, so we'll do a full discussion of that uh, in an upcoming episode. But they also have launched a really cool website called the Focusrite Academy Recording Drum. So on that segment of their their page, they've got a whole course on one microphone techniques, two microphones, all the way up to like micro, you know, micing up everything down to the ride cymbal. Um, there's some tuning uh, clips on there, so that's a really cool uh, feature on their website. And we also are co-sponsoring a giveaway with them. So in the show notes, there will be a link where you can sign up to be uh, entered in to win the exact setup that I'm going to be reviewing, which is an 8-channel interface. It's a USB interface, so it should work with any computer that you have. And it also has the Scarlett Octopre Dynamic, which is a really cool 8-channel add-on that that has built-in compression. So you can dial in the compression before you record it, so you don't have to worry about going into plugins and stuff later. That's Uh, cool. So super cool. We should probably um, go through some of their videos sometime in an upcoming episode. But Yeah, I would love that. You know, I've used the Focusrite Scarlett uh, 2i2 for almost ever. So, you know, I have – I use the Behringer thing – to uh, do a bunch of stuff. It's really difficult the way we have to do our live broadcasts, but I have to get that into my computer somehow. And the way I do it is I mix inside of um, the rack system and then I go out of that completely mixed into the Scarlet, uh, into the Focusrite Scarlet uh, 2i2. And that's what goes into my computer for our live broadcast. And mm, okay. <clears throat> it's flawless. I've, I think I've been using it for like five or six years now. So yeah, their stuff is yeah. industry standard. I mean, so many studios I go into have Focusrite mic pre's. So the the pre's that come in these interfaces are you know world class, um, and they're yeah. not they're not super expensive. I'm I'm always surprised at how they can keep their prices down. So that's anyone who's looking to start a studio setup at home, I would definitely look at these and make sure you enter the win because you might not have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and yeah, uh, you know, we. I would love to hit this on another podcast too. But when you're doing the two mic setup, like I've been doing, honestly, that Focusrite Scarlett Two I Two, it's 149. dollars It's oh wow, is it? It's it's nothing, and you would be able to have a two channel thing go straight into your laptop and mix it, and you would, you know, I, that's probably one of the biggest, I guess, two channel interfaces that I uh, recommend. I mean, you can get it cheaper too. I've seen it as low as. You know, ninety nine dollars, um, depending on who's got it on sale. So it's awesome. pretty cool stuff. Very cool. So thanks, Focusrite, for jumping on board to sponsor the episode, and we'll definitely come back to them. But for the time being, go to the website, check out the Recording Drums Academy they have on their site, and uh, we'll get back to it and enter to win. That's a that's a heck of a giveaway. We're super excited about that. Awesome. All right. Well, now it's gear review time, and we're going to talk about something that was not easy for me to say in the intro, and that is the Peisty PSTX DJS 45 series symbols. Holy hell. (laughs) (laughs) PST is the line. X means they did something cool to it. DJS, I don't know what that means. DJs. (laughs) DJs 45, like a record. Oh, look at that. All right. (laughs) 
I put all the letters together. It's one big jumbled thing to me. It says PSTXDJS45 series. <laughs> all right. But, so I mean, it's the PSTX DJs 45 series. Yeah, and and probably easier to remember they are the Daru Jones signature line. There we go. Yeah. So if you know his playing, which is a lot of times replicating break beats and sample drumming, that's what these cymbals are designed to do. They're, and they're designed to be small enough that you can throw into your backpack and, and carry them around. So they're super tiny, 12-inch. Uh, they call it a DJ DJ's 45 Crash. It has a bunch of holes in it, but it's a little 12-inch. Basically, it's, a, it's an effect splash. Um, there's a set of hi-hats, which is same thing, 12-inch with, with holes in it, so it gets that real kind of gritty, distorted, sampled sound. And then there's a really funky ride symbol, 12-inch ride that looks like a 45, looks like a record. It's got black finish, and it. it looks like it has the... You know, the grooves that are on a record. Yeah, that one. Uh, now it's all making sense. The yeah. 45s. Got yeah. it. Uh, and now this is only from my past time as a Pisces artist. I'm assuming since they're P- from the PST line, assuming these are pretty affordable. Oh, yeah. I think uh, I don't I don't have the, have the prices in front of me, but you can get the whole set for, for not very much. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great, <laughs> great description of the price. How much does that cost? Not very much. Does How much do you really make per year? Matter? Two million. Oh, I think it's probably relative then. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just do a quick Google. the The whole set is under three hundred bucks. Uh, then that is not very much. Yeah, yeah. You, you crushed it. I you shouldn't have made the, fun of you. You can get you, the you it. the crash for seventy two bucks. You can get the ride for seventy two bucks, and the hi hats for one hundred and forty four bucks. Okay, wait. So the ride is a twelve. Yeah, everything's a twelve. The whole oh, everything's a twelve. Okay. <laughs> I'm so late to the game. Like I <laughs> promise, I'm awake right now. It's just <laughs> like a twelve inch record, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was your <laughs> that was your best one yet. I love that. Sick burn, bro. Sick burn. Uh, like a twelve inch record, Mike. Okay, I get it. It's all coming clear. <laughs> Did you play these? I did, and there's some, there's a video. So, oh yeah, I didn't send you the link, but that's okay. There is a video that we'll have in the show notes, and we're going to drop in the audio from it. So obviously, these aren't something you would use on every gig. The ride symbol sounded a lot like uh, like square pusher or something, where they would take oh, a cool. take a loop and just tune it way up like an octave or two. Yeah. So it's really high pitched and and got that kind of like you know, everything like drum and bass kind of a sound. Sure. The crash I thought was something that you could use on any kit just for a quick accent symbol. The hi hats were really neat. Uh, I think if if Tony was a Pisces artist, he would probably use these on his kit uh, for the electronic stuff. Uh, yeah, they were fun. They made me play different. I recorded my first ever drum and bass beat for Modern Drummers <laughs> product nice. close up. So nice. Uh, let's drop it in. Those, those actually sound really good. If you put them in the right environment, they don't yeah. sound. I mean, they sound kind of like toyish in a good way. 
Yeah, I think that that black coating kind of mutes down all the the high brightness that you would get out of like you know B eight uh, small symbols. Wow, really cool, man. I mean, I it's funny because they made something that instead of you having to do it, you know, like like if you have a standard set of symbols and you were playing to that same loop that you had um, for your from your Nord drum, then it's like. All right, well, you're going to have to gaff tape. You're going to have to do mm-hmm. something, you know, um, where these just kind of do it. And if, if they're that affordable, like, and this, especially if this was something where you're like, no, I I honestly have like one gig a month that needs this. I could totally see this being used. So yep. very cool they're stuff. Fun, 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 fun. Oh, I dig it. I dig it. All right. So now it's time for listener questions. It is, isn't it? So uh, we're going to work through, I guess, three of them this week. We've got... Oh, by the way, we should once again congratulate the winners of the the, the giveaway. I heard from one of the, the listeners, uh, where did I put the sheet? So Eric Wood, who won the snare drum, emailed. He's like, I, hopefully I'm the right Eric Wood. <laughs> oh, man. Snare drum. That it, would was, suck. it was a really nice note. He, he said he's, he's been having kind of a tough time, and this is kind of making his, his day. So that's super cool. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's um, really cool. So and Lucas, you won the Lucas Short. You won the Aquarian giveaway. So if you haven't heard from me by the time you hear this, definitely hit up mdinfo at moderndrummer.com so we can get you squared away. Antonio Rodriguez, you won the Vader Prize package. Again, if you haven't heard from me by the end of the time you listen to this, email mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. And then Ray Hartman, you won your choice of any dream symbol out of the catalog. Uh, so hit me up or I'll hit you up hopefully today. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Very cool. All right. So listener questions. We've got this one's from Ben. Uh, He says, I have a question regarding writing original drum parts. I grew up listening to pop punk in the late 90s, early 2000s and became the drummer I am today via that influence. Um, While I have had some success and toured recorded extensively uh, as that style of drummer, I feel it has forced my instincts into a box. My current band is still rock and roll, but is more along the lines of the Dead Weather, the Kills, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and Block Party. Every time I sit down behind the kit, my instincts from punk rock cloud my creativity, and I feel like I'm in a creative rut. Mm-hmm. Um, so, any suggestions on how to get rid my, rid myself of this curse? Maybe a variation of your four stage practice method with the band. Uh, he basically says I'm at a loss, so he's looking for some suggestions. Sure. Well, uh, <clears throat> this has actually been this whole week on Mike'sLessons.com has been all of our live lessons have been uh, creative exercises. So stage two creative, we did it for beginner, intermediate, advanced, and then yesterday I just fin- finished filming a course called Creative Practice. I'm going to do three of those courses. The key to this, no matter what, it's it's not about me just telling you you should do this. It's about you carving time out of your day to be creative. But the problem is, unless you're using some sort of parameter, it's very hard to be creative. And I think that's probably what you're going through, is you're you're doing the right thing. You're saying, okay, I'm going to sit down and be creative, but you don't have a parameter. So you just kind of jam and noodle around, and then you hate yourself, and then it just is this <laughs> horrible cycle that we all go through. Yeah, The parameter is the key. Uh, one parameter that I do that... You know, I, I would assume most of you would think like, no, you don't really do that. And it's like I do it all the time and I still suck at it is I literally just improvise between kick and snare while playing eighth notes on the hi-hat. That's it. I'm just going mm. chit, chit, chit. But I don't allow my right hand to be part of the fun. It's just eighth notes. No extra 16ths, no accents. Uh, and then I'll usually hit a crash either every four bars or every eight bars because I'm trying to make sure that my improvisation doesn't sound like it's in one bar phrases. 
but I also don't improvise so hard over the bar line that I get lost in the overall phrasing. So every four bars, I hit a crash and kind of reset myself. Or if I'm trying to go for even longer phrases, then I'll go with eight bars. Um, but it, it really comes down to that. I would say, honestly, man, I hate to plug the website, but if you sign up for mikeslessons.com, you'll have all the courses. And I'm going to be uploading that course tomorrow, which is called Creative Practice. And I'm going to as soon as I get done with the ladies camp, I'm going to film two more of those courses. And the good thing is now our website allows you on any video to, to make a practice routine out of the video. And so you'll be able to tell the video that is my non-creative exercise and it'll make a whole printable sheet for you of your creative, your non-creative and your main focus. So dig it. I think, um, from a more kind of global perspective, you probably should maybe try changing up your drum sound. You're probably mm. you're getting stuck in, you know, with the tight snare and kind of bright attacky tom. So maybe go for a complete opposite, like detune your snare all the way, and that's going to make yeah, you man. play completely differently. Put some, get, get rid of your rack tom. Put your ride cymbal right in the middle of the kit. Yeah, anything. Know. Change it up. Change up your kit. And then uh, I went through this when I was trying to be a jazz drummer, and all I listened to and all I practiced and all I did was was jazz. But then I started getting gigs where I needed to play just quarter notes. So mm. I don't. I just stopped listening to jazz, and I started listening to the guys that I knew I needed to sound more like. And that's when Steve Jordan became my number one hero. Nice. So I think listening to a lot of music that is completely not pop punk would be step yeah. one. Playing along to it and trying to replicate the feel and the sound. So those are my two kind of more global. You know approaches. what's cool though is, is when you do that it'll make the pop punk band so much cooler because pop punk it already has done its thing so why not bring some new influence into it yeah exactly uh, so i think that'd be great all right next all right this one comes from ching from taiwan nice. uh, he sent two questions and we're just going to do the second one here so uh i have a question about practicing music styles i learned to play most of the styles when i was in music college but i just don't feel like i have time to really immerse myself in any one of them Every time I try to dig into one of them really deep, I feel like all of my other sides of my plan is sacrificed. Do you guys have any similar experience when it comes to practicing music styles? Well, man, it, it, there is a part of this that I, I've just noticed that a lot of students ignore. Sometimes you kind of have to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just because somebody tells me that this style exists and I check it out and I'm like, oh, that's cool, it doesn't mean I have to learn it or get into it so honestly the things that i'm good at on the drums are the things that i enjoy i I definitely try to expose myself to everything but you know i'm okay with the fact that right now horacio can't call me and just say hey mike can you cover this legit cuban gig it's like no i can't Mm -hmm. um i can cover a californian you know cuban influenced gig sure you know or world music influenced gig but that's it. it i haven't gone that far into it so I think you can find things in those other genres that open you up. Like, okay, let's say jazz in general. And you're like, man, I don't like jazz. It's like, really? Well, I like triplets. Yeah. And my jazz vocabulary, once I take out ding, 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 all that linear stuff that you guys freak out over on Instagram, you know what that is? That's Elvin Jones licks. I'm just not playing it with ding, ding, ding. Yeah. But it's, right. I'm still doing the same thing and I'm playing them loud. I'm not playing them maybe as dynamically as Elvin did or as Tony did. But, so you can get a lot out of it and bring it into your own playing. I would say just be influenced by those styles and and don't, you know, unless you're trying to be some weird chameleon drummer where you can do everything all the time. I would just focus on the things that you enjoy. 
Yeah, it's probably better to focus on the techniques that you need to play styles rather than trying to learn every beat of every genre. Like, I think if you have good, solid four-way four-way independence, then you can learn how to play a Cuban pattern a lot easier than if you just said one day I'm going to learn how to play Wawanko and you'd never practiced well, left foot clave and, or anything. Before. And then it's like, okay, so what? Which Wawanko? Like, you know, it yeah. changes every two streets, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, so it's my thought is like, okay, I, I zoom out and think. Okay, let me have two or three grooves that work in a bigger genre called salsa, rather than me just being like, "Oh, would you like my songo to be changuito influenced?" Or it's like mm, I don't yeah. want to go that deep, you know. It's just like, look, I'll, I'll get us through the gig; we'll be fine. But while doing that, you might find those things like if you learn Wawanko or Mozambique, really, what you're going to learn is, "Wow, my drum set can be musical." Yeah, exactly. That's what I want you guys to get out of this stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think. Also, for me, if you if you focus in on the roots of the genres, you can kind of get rid of all the the noise of all the variations. So, like, I agree. I think if you can play bebop convincingly, you can play classic rock grooves convincingly, and you can play, you know, like James all James Brown's type beats. You've right. kind of got all your genres covered. Yeah, like you don't need to know how to play like Steve Coleman modern jazz fusion stuff right you know right. just if you can play with bebop vocabulary and swing convincingly you can play all of the hendrix and zeppelin songs and you can play beatles songs and you can play uh the entire james brown al green i mean those are all variations of of the same thing yeah uh, that that's my my approach is to figure out what's the common thread between all these styles okay so let's just say that you did that in, I mean, besides maybe not knowing all the rules, if you had that skill set, you'd be fine in a blues jam. Totally. You would hear it yeah. and go, oh, I, I didn't know that was blues, but I can do that. Yeah, exactly. Because I can swing and I can give a backbeat. So you'd be fine. Yeah, and you probably learned some 12-8 by listening to Al Green. Like, I think just right. finding, you know, you don't have to know how to play Stevie Ray Vaughan songs to be able to play a shuffle at a blues right. jam. You don't need to know Agreed. how to play drum and bass in order to play a break beat on a, on a funk session or yeah something. i mean if you heard german bass right away you'd go like wait a minute this that's a james brown beat it's like double time right like, exactly yeah. oh yeah. i could do that cool <laughs> yeah. so hopefully that right. helps uh, yeah it's basically like clear through the noise for me yeah uh, completely confused now yeah right <laughs> <laughs> just practice our answer is always just practice <laughs> all right our last one is from misha from switzerland ah. uh says i play in church and i want to have a powerful sound i see other church drummers play the kick snare and toms loud with power but the cymbals are really delicate do you have any practice tips for practicing that yeah i mean the the answer is in your question you practice that and i know that's a harsh answer and it's it's always hard to hear that but misha comes down and i i'm pretty sure i actually know misha um cool i can't remember what camp he attended maybe the one i did in germany but anyways um so Misha, it comes down to really you writing down. I'm going to practice this today. Um, you know, I, I I hate to go back to it, but the uh, video that Matt Chamberlain did with uh, for Apogee, he talks about that. He says, yeah. you know, lay into your drums a little harder and back off your cymbals. Yeah, and and it just comes to down to like today. I'm going to practice really backing off on my cymbals and laying into my drums. And it's like cool. Yeah, you know? 
I mean, it's being being cognizant of what each drum and cymbal does. Uh, that's definitely part of my practice, especially since I'm reviewing new gear all the time. I'm like, I can't just hit every cymbal the same way. I can't hit every snare drum the same way. Right. So I do a lot of inventory. Like, all right, the bass drum needs to be probably the loudest, the snare drum second loudest. But the toms are usually the quietest drums on the kit, so you're going to have to hit them a lot harder. Yeah, You can't just use the same stroke I use for a rim shot and hit the rack tom and expect it to be the same volume. It's not going to right. be. And yeah. the cymbals are always going to be too loud. Yeah. So I know when I come at the end of a big fill, I've got to just pull back a little bit, hit the brakes, you know, right. just be aware of it. And, yeah, and watch, watch people's faces, you know. If they're constantly blinking like they're having a stroke when you play, then you're playing too loud, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it, I think we're simplifying it because it is a technical challenge. I mean, not... You have to oh, work on absolutely. dynamics. I think you have to practice stick control at every dynamic level and smoothly going from soft to loud and back down. I mean, that's, for me, yeah. the the invaluable time I spent studying classical music. That's what I learned, dynamics. And that therefore, mm-hmm. it's automatic for me. I know it's not for everyone. Some people just hit drums and, and what comes out, what comes out. So you have to practice dynamics. Agreed. And also orchestration, you know, being able to, like you said, go from maybe four strokes with your right hand on the snare drum. And then you move that to the rack tom and realize if I keep the velocity the same, the sound isn't the same. So you have to, you have to really, you know, Misha, the, the answer is to practice exactly what you want to get better at, but you actually really have to be kind of obsessive about it. Um, I know for me, I mean, even still right now, my biggest dynamic challenge is my hi-hats. I'm still trying to get my hi-hats to support my kick and snare. And they, because of my rock touring days, they just want to dominate. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's like if, if, if someone just taps me on the shoulder, I have the physical ability to do it. It's that I forget that it's even happening because yeah. I'm just used to hearing the hi-hats loud in the mix. But then when I look at my favorite drummers, I'm like, man, their hi-hats are like egg shakers. Yeah. And then when they yeah. play that one little accent on the hi-hat, it really stands out. So yeah. that was something that uh, Nir Z pointed out when I when I went to his studio years back in Brooklyn and, and did a session just for him. Like, it was like a, a mock production session. And that was the first thing he said was, you hear how the hi-hats are overdriving? Like, you're, you're hitting them too hard. You just yeah. listen to it. Listen to the sound. They're overdriving. You don't need to hit them that hard. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing. I mean, I, I, I've had students where I'm like, Hey, next time you play, I want you to pay attention and see if you can see the tip of the stick past your eyesight. And literally, they're bringing their hand up so high on the hi-hats that the stick goes past their eyes. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> like, it's like a windshield wiper. Um, and, and it's like, I, I always tell them, like, you're chopping wood over there, man. Like, that is that is the, you know, for me, I want to use my hi-hats in a live situation as, okay, the band's getting a little sloppy. Let me use this instrument that will cut through frequency-wise everything. I'm going to bring up the volume to get some chick, 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 chick. Oh, hey, guys, yeah. we're right here. I'm not going to yeah. hit my kick and snare harder. They, they can hear that. Mm-hmm. They're just not paying attention. But those hi-hats will grab their attention. So, yeah, Misha, it comes down to focused practice, buddy. And you know what to do. There's no secret answer. It's just put in the time and really, really care. Dig it. All right. Thanks, guys, for your questions. Please keep sending those to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We love hearing from you guys. You can always send audio questions as well if you want your voice to be heard on this podcast. Now it is time for our picks of the week. Mr. Dawson, you sent me a video, and it was mind-blowing to both of us. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so cool. And it was so simple, but, man, it, it how did 
how did the two of us not recognize this for the last 20 years that we've been studying this guy? Uh, yeah, right. So uh, if you don't follow Brad Wilk from Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave, and I believe the current project is called Prophets of Rage, I believe. Anyway, he's been posting some live clips from the recent tour, and he did one where he used the slow-mo feature. Uh, I think he posted on July 3rd. So if you go back to his, his feed and look at July 3rd, you see when he goes to the the, the kick snare hi-hat groove his hi-hat is literally flaming behind the snare drum which is not something i personally have ever thought about doing i always would think the snare drum would be what you play behind in order to get that big wide feel and it's kind of indisputable brad has one of the the best like big beat feels in the business and i think that's one of his secrets the hi-hats are what kind of sloshes behind the beat yeah, and, and when it's in slow mo, it's like it's like oh, it's three it's really hours. Obvious. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like he hits the snare, and then you get a bite to eat. Come back and he hits the hat. <laughs> um, and he's just guys. He's just playing a basic rock beat. But one thing that you and I were talking about through text was, I was wondering if he even noticed he did that until that video yeah, came out. You know, probably not. It's probably um, not intentional. It's just a, a sound and a feeling that he wants to generate. I'm speaking for him. I don't really know, but. Right. I, th- I mean, and he has a weird lope to his groove that's so human yeah. and so awesome. And, and I think that's it, man, pulling the, the hi-hat behind the beat. Could you imagine if he thought, if he saw the video after recording it, it was like, oh, my God, I'm totally sloppy. I got to clean that up. <laughs> like, it's like, no, 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 no. That's the magic, Brad. Don't clean that up. That's perfect. I'm willing to bet that he's probably said, that's badass. I'm glad I do I, that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, I, I, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> So, yeah, Brad Wilk's Instagram feed, July 3rd. Hopefully, it's still up there. Uh, just check out how he's lagging that high up behind the beat. It's pretty cool stuff. All right. My pick of the week this time is something that is coming out today. And that is my good friend J.P. Bouvet. Uh, he has his new band, and his band is called Childish Japes, and they're incredible. Uh, I, I know personally his guitar player. Uh, I don't know um, bass player yet, but they're really good guys. But the music is incredible. And for JP, I'm really happy that he's not in someone else's project. He's finally in his own project, making his own music with his friends and being creative fully instead of being the sideman for other people's creativity. Um, And the music that I've heard so far is incredible. And their first single comes out today. So just search for childish japes you can find them on facebook and i'm pretty sure you'll be able to get their music on itunes and everywhere else and if you don't already follow jp bouvet please do he's pretty incredible you said that you guys are uh doing an article on him coming up yeah coming up we just uh we're going to be seeing the initial proofs here soon so we'll be talking about him again in the future awesome. episode. fantastic well yeah check that stuff out i'm really excited for my boy so all right buddy we'll have an amazing day and uh i will talk to you right in the middle of ladies camp and righty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. See ya. Late.